Hello and welcome to Culture Sex Relationships with me, Justin Hadcock. It's a chilly, rainy, grey day here in London and so it feels appropriate that this Ask Justin is about a breakup. Uh, so here is the question that one of my lovely listeners sent him. My relationship ended and I'm looking for advice about the best ways to go forward in order to be friends. It is a priority of mine and theirs to remain friends. We were best friends for 10 years before being in a committed romantic relationship for two years. The relationship ended because she is no longer in love with me. I'm still in love with her. We both have a huge amount of love, respect and care for each other and wish to have a friendship. I'm struggling to figure out what the best amount of contact is just now. Everything I read tells me having a period of no contact is necessary before resuming a friendship. Do you think this is true? Thank you for your thoughts. Well, first of all, this reminds me of my big breakup and I don't go into personal details uh, about me really at all in any of my work. But, you know, what this just reminds me of is is the the big breakup that, that happened for me. And for me, that felt incredibly painful and sad. But you've not said what your feelings are about this. You say that you're still in love with her and that she's no longer in love with you. So... I'm wondering how you're feeling about this and you haven't really put your feelings in this in here at all. So I guess I'm just kind of first of all inviting you to think about how this is hitting you, like where the feelings might be landing in your body. Can you start to kind of feel parts of your body? Uh, feel do you, do you literally feel any sensations in um, in your stomach, in your <laughs> in your feet, in your breath? Um in other parts of your body, is it something that makes you feel quite um, tight and frightened, or is it more giving you a kind of a sense of slowness and heaviness? There are lots of different feelings that you might have. It might you might also have a sense of freedom about this. There might be a sense of lightness for you about what's going on here. You've made it sound like your partner has said they said that they are not in love with you yet you're still in love with her that doesn't necessarily mean that you're feeling very sad there might be a sense of uh, new opportunities and uh, a lightness and a new kind of freedom and a new pathway for you but I guess I think the first thing is that I just invite you to to sit with the feelings and to feel those feelings and as you probably know Meg John has got a zine at their website rewritingtherules.com where, which is about how we might stay with feelings. And also in Meg John and Alex's How Yeah self-care book, there are exercises about how we sit with feelings. And I think that's just a really important thing. This, e- this the, the email that you've sent in is about process and like what the best thing to do is. And I'll give you some advice about that. But I'm just noticing that there's nothing really here about feelings and I'm inviting you to feel them first. And dear listener... The same will be going on for you. Many of you might be going through breakups or difficult times in your relationships. I think first and foremost, it's just really useful just to catch yourself, to catch that moment and to sit with yourself and see, well, is there a feeling going on? Is it having an actual sensational effect in my body? So I guess the first thing that I'd want to really talk about here is, you know, you're talking about the possibilities for having a break. Um... 
But you're also talking about the possibilities for there being an ongoing friendship, and this is something that you that you want to continue. Uh, you're still in love with her. We both have a huge amount of love, respect, and care for each other, and wish to have a friendship. I think there's a real delicacy here. There's a real trickiness that me and Meg John have talked about on previous episodes. You know, Meg John would often say all relationships are changing, even where we don't realise there's change going on. They are they are changing all of the time. If we view breakups as a different form of change, a slightly more dramatic form of change, but a change nonetheless that is necessary and inevitable. Uh, and to change that into something else that doesn't have to fit with the 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 scripts that are often given around endings and how an ending is meant to feel and what feelings we're meant to have and that relationships do shift and this can if we just manage them correctly they can just shift into something else. However, also in previous podcasts, I've talked about some of the benefits of endings. I've talked about um, the piece of art that Marcel, du- Marcel Duchamp uh, came up with, which is basically a door in his own flat, uh, where the first flat he moved in, into Paris, he had a joiner come in to replace the to take out the door from the kitchen and the bathroom and to replace it with one door, which was both the door to the kitchen and the door to the bathroom. So the same door that closes the bathroom opens the kitchen and the same door that opens the kitchen closes the bathroom. So it's not one door closes and another door opens, it's the door is doing both things. So I think that there might be a benefit to shutting off some things in order to open up other things. And I think there's kind of there's a delicacy here that I'm going to go into in more detail, which I think is quite difficult to untangle. And I think it's something that you are going to become an expert in. And sadly, your expertise in this is only going to happen and only going to you're only going to realize you're an expert in this once you've done the work of becoming an expert in this. I think the process of breakups is like another process of becoming. It's like a it's. It's, it's a very strange kind of thing because you are, in a sense, building something at the same time as feeling like you're ending something, I think. So I think first and foremost, though, it, it is just this. Are you wanting to have friendships and are you wanting to have contact in order to avoid the feeling of endings? I think if you're wanting to do that, I think that might be something worth thinking about. If you're wanting to... Not, if you're wanting to avoid some feelings and you're wanting to avoid sadness or fear um, or a sense of shame, um, then this might that it might be better for you to feel the feelings rather than to avoid feeling the feelings. You know, the, uh, what we would say on the what we've always said on the Mag John and Justin uh, podcast, as well as what I've said uh, ever since uh, taking over the 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 hosting of the show, is that it's better to lean into the feelings and feel the feelings first. And I really think that just for me personally, that's always been the most helpful thing. If I can identify the feeling and where it sits, to feel that rather than to to make the avoidance of feelings or to make the wanting to contain feelings in some way the primary focus for how I act in relationships, what it is that I might do, what it is that I say that I need or want or desire from another person. And this is the work of the self like this really is like using um using our body as a way of really understanding what's going on for us and really being curious about what's going on and holding on to that and again we've talked about this in other episodes but you know the ability to feel sad 
is incredibly important, as just as the ability to feel anger and joy and 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 shame appropriately. Um, that that ability is really really important because it is about that work on ourselves. It is about, I think. Uh, uh, Winnicott would talk about this. Donald Winnicott would talk about this as it, it is a, a sense of how we create our our sense of I, our meanness or our, our amness. I can't remember the terms that he used. It it creates a sense of you know th- this is these are the boundaries of of who it is I am at the moment. I am going to talk about boundaries and agency in a bit, but I just think let this be an opportunity to, for you to walk through the door that leads to the bathroom or to the kitchen rather than having the door just kind of open in between and keeping them both open. Because quite frankly, you know, you don't want to be cooking at the same time as someone else might be using a toilet, right? It is a good idea, I think, to sometimes have that door close. <laughs> um, uh, Meg John might say something different, but, you know, it's my show now. So, uh, you know, I'm giving all the advice. <laughs> um, so there is a real delicacy here. One of the things that I think is really problematic, again, is that there are clear cultural scripts around this, right? So you've you've talked about this, really. You know, you've said, everything I've read tells me having a period of no contact is necessary before a few resuming a friendship. That's become part of discourse. That's become, like, one of the should stories of how we're meant to do um, breakups. Another one is, you know, it's not possible for us to be friends after having a romantic relationship with someone, uh, you know, which again is another problematic should story. And again, they, whenever there's a should story, they just take us away from tuning into what's actually going on for us. So that's something else to bear in mind, is that as, as well as this delicacy of holding um, both the idea of an ending, but also the idea of change and this kind of granular kind of change, um, we also have to bear in mind that there are should stories going on which make us, which can make us feel very ashamed about ourselves and can force us to judge ourselves and objectify ourselves in that way. But to keep talking about this kind of this kind of thinking about how this how relationships change and how how we might look at endings and change simultaneously, I want to talk about. Um, uh, a, f- a term that I've learnt from uh, the the thoughts and writings of Deleuze and Guattari, uh, French philosophers, uh, I guess. Um, and I've only learnt about this from podcasts and reading other people's books about them. I have not read any Deleuze and Guattari. Okay, but one of the things that they talked about, which is just a concept that I find really useful, is something either being um, molar or molecular. Um, and if you're an academic and you understand Deleuze and Guattari better than I do, please don't yell at me. Just be, just quietly sit. Don't tweet me. I'm trying to understand this myself, uh, and I'm just trying to give advice. I'm not an academic, anyway. So they would say that if we look at anything with, like a rock, for example, or a table, that the way we look at it is that we look at something, and that is a very static object thing that does not move okay but actually if you look at it at a molecular level if you go really deep down into uh, into this object there are molecules moving around it's just that they are moving around very slowly okay and in a particular way but for something to be but if we understand that everything has the potential to be molecular then at that level then that kind of helps to free us up from the idea of seeing something entirely as a rock or a table and i think what you need to do is to think about how you might 
enable yourself and this relationship to become more molecular rather than molar, okay? And this is quite a useful idea, I think, because it's always been changing. There have always been molecules at, at some level moving around. And now that you've had these very difficult sounding conversations about changing it into something else, you can see that that change is becoming bigger. The, the rock is becoming, I don't know, uh, what do rocks become? Sand. Uh, or <laughs> or diamonds, or I don't know. It's becoming something else, right? You know, the molecules are moving in a way where it's the 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 thing that which we view as molar is now shifting into something else. Okay, but that shift was always happening all the time. Okay, so what can you do to make this look less like a rock? Okay, to make this look less like the relationship you want it to be. Um, it sounds like this isn't something that is ending because you want it to end. Okay, uh, the relationship ended because she is no longer in love with me. I'm still in love with her. But it sounds like there might be a piece of work here for you to see this as being and to accept that the rock is no longer a rock and for it to be and that there are huge benefits for that. Um, the, the freedom for you to become something else and for the relationship to become something else is potentially really, really good. Uh, but and you know and there's no point holding on to a relationship where one of the people don't want to be in that relationship that relationship has already changed as soon as someone is saying that they don't love you anymore that's an incredibly that's potentially incredibly painful and difficult thing to hear but that that relationship's gone that the vase was already broken so trying to hold on to something where the other person doesn't want that anymore is just holding onto something that isn't there anymore. So it's already, it's the molecules are flying around and there's the, there's a potential for this relationship and your relationship with yourself and your relationship with others to become something entirely different altogether, okay? And this is what a break might do. So it might be able to, um, what a break might do from seeing the other person might give you the opportunity to, to see this, okay? And I'm going to explain why. Um, again, it might f help to free yourself into the feelings of sadness. If you just spend time with yourself and literally give yourself space and time to feel your feelings, to feel what your sense of you-ness is, that is, that is falling in love with yourself, right? That is like starting to have that really great relationship with ourselves that we often might neglect when we're in romantic relationships. You know, the ideal in romantic relationships is that we maintain a really great relationship with ourselves uh, as uh, as well as our relationships with our friends, our relationship to God, our relationship to, to humanity, uh, our relationship to uh, our uh, the teams that we're in, our relationship to our family, our relationship to pets, you know, on, on like a, on, uh, you know, on an ideal kind of level. We all maintain all our relationships all the time, but you know, in the real world, we often treat things hierarchically, and we often treat romantic relationships as the most important. So, if you are able to take a break, that might just literally give you space and time to start the work of developing this relationship with yourself again, which might, which is something that we can very easily lose. Okay, but there is something to say here as well about what being in love means. Okay. And this might sound a bit glib, but I think this is a really useful way of thinking about being in love rather than 
loving someone, okay? And you talked about both things. And I think that there is the potential to see these things as being different things, okay? And I think that having a break here might help you because of the literal chemical things that happen, the biological responses that our bodies have when we are feeling in love with someone. So as you might have heard about me, heard me talk about on the podcast before, I'm going to talk about micro moments of positivity resonance, okay? So there are certain biological things that happen in our brains uh, when we are feeling in love with someone. So uh, our pupils dilate to take in more of the person, our hearing adjusts to hear to the hear the frequencies of the other person, our neural pathways apparently map onto each other, our vagus tone kicks in, which helps to regulate our heartbeat, the vagus nerve, uh, which connects from our brain to our hearts to our kind of lower body and genital area. Um, can control our heartbeat and oxytocin kicks in which allows us to tune into the other person to feel bonded to another person okay they are the chemical biological things that happen and this term micro moments of positivity resonance um is something that i learned from uh, i think a, a psychologist called uh, dr barbara fredrickson and she's saying look and i think this is true that actually we can feel all of those feelings every day like with anyone like if you have a moment in a shop with someone and you know they're like that you've gotten each other's way or you're walking down the street and you want to avoid someone else walking into you but you both go the same way and it's that funny moment you kind of laugh and then you smile afterwards and a little you get a little recognition as you walk past of some kind of like feeling some kind of like affect as you walk past them you just fall in love with someone uh when someone makes uh, someone that you someone kind of makes a, a joke and you both laugh and you both share a moment of humor, you just fall in love with someone. Like and this happens like potentially happens all the time. It's probably happened to us a lot less during the pandemic because we're not seeing people and it's harder to connect with people because we can't have eye contact via Zoom and things like that. Anyway, it's probably another it's probably another podcast. I won't rant about that today, but those micro moments of positivity resonance happen all the time. Okay. And what's happened where with you, because you've got into a romantic relationship and you've got into a relationship where you have felt in love with and do still feel in love with, is that a series of those moments have been happening many, 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 many times. And they, so you add them all up into a story which tells you that you're in love with someone. Now, I'm not saying it's not real, okay? It's definitely real. The feeling of being in love with someone is extremely biopsychosocial. It's, you know, you're taking the biology of everything I've just explained. It's also psychological. It's to do with your own experiences. It's to do with your own patterns, your own attachments what it is that you want, what you desire, and also the sociological, you know, uh, are you allowed to do this? Is this something that you have a right to do? Is this something which is expected of you? Are you in a cultural script where this kind of thing is something which, you know, generally, like, should happen? You know, like fairy tale, Disney princess, all that kind of stuff, right? Um, Happy ever after kind of stuff. And all of those things feed off each other, and all those things change. And so love is definitely... Falling in love with someone, being in love with someone is a real thing that happens, okay? But what happens if you take out one of those things? What happened what would happen what might happen for you, dear gentle listener, if you took out the biology? Like if you took out the possibility of seeing them all the time, uh, looking into their face, hearing what they say, sitting next to them on the sofa, doing any of the kind of intimacy that uh, any of the kinds of 
physical touch or different kinds of intimacy, which was on the table and now is no longer on the table. How might it be for you to take yourself away from that? What impact might that have on how in love you feel with them? Okay, at what point does it just become something that you might want to say to yourself or you might want to kind of think is true, but your body might be telling you this is feeling less and less true over time. Okay, it's kind of like cold turkey when we talk about it this way, because the the oxytocin that kicks in and all the other I'm not really I don't really go into the biology of this as much as I should probably. There's a really great book on this by um, Nick J. Fox called The Body, which I would recommend everyone to read. It's really, really interesting, and it's where I get a lot of these ideas of Deleuze and Guattari from. I find it really interesting. But, you know, there are lots of chemicals that happen, right? And it is they are very powerful drugs that happen when we are in love with someone, right, uh, that we experience in our brains. So, um, but as you kind of pull away from this, then suddenly that relationship, this in-loveness, starts to look quite different, okay? Because then what happens is that you're starting to, first of all, feel, feel these feelings for yourself, but also you might start being more open to feeling small sparks of micro moments of positive, positivity resonance with other people, which I'm not saying you want to fall in love with someone else, but you might be able to recognize them and see that they that they've become from they've become they are no longer molar but they've become molecular. Am I kind of making sense here? It's that those feelings don't have to always be associated with that person. They can be they can be free and floating around and associate themselves with you and other people and also just the world generally and the non-world. You know that we can be in love with non non-humans. We can be in love with spaces we can be in love with uh nature we can be in love with concepts you know that we can kind of free this up so i don't want to get too like hippie-ish right and i'm not going to say that if you start to withdraw and no longer see um someone who let's you've not referred to them as your ex but i don't know that might be a term that you want to use uh, let's say this person, if you start to no longer see that person, there is a possibility that if you take away some of the biology, you might just find it easier, is all I'm saying. Okay, But I think it's a really interesting way of thinking about what that being in love is. And, you know, I'm often very, very critical um, of the messages that we have around things like uh, new relationship energy or uh, in inverted commas, the honeymoon period, which is incredibly, you know, like, normative term but I'm critical of those because we're still in a culture which says that you're only really in love with someone if you can feel those feelings but actually those feelings are things that you kind of also want to feel as well we territorialize them like we we put them in a spot and we make those feelings do a thing for us we say we make these feelings prove to us that we are in love with someone rather than seeing what the feelings are and allowing them to happen right is that kind of makes sense um i think the other thing here as well is to think about that you are in a period a, a slow period of disassembling it sounds like what you're trying to do is to very carefully take apart something very carefully disassemble something and but this thing took years and years to assemble. So your relationship, you were friends for 10 years and then you were in a romantic relationship for two years. You know, the it took, you, you don't know you're assembling something, I guess. You're not conscious of it. 
but you are more the the the, the process of disassembling is often more conscious of the process of assembling okay but you're in the process of disassembling something which took years to assemble before you then start to, before you're able to reassemble it into something else. So this is back to the whole idea of like molar and molecular, right? That you do want it to become another static thing potentially, but maybe a bit less static and something that looks a bit different. Okay. But that is a process. And the process of doing this is so difficult. And when there are feelings which are completely, which we don't lean into and don't allow ourselves to see, then often this becomes, rather than disassembling, a careful, slow, difficult disassembling, often it just becomes an, just destruction. People, instead of wanting to do the slow, it's often painful, often boring, often really difficult work of disassembling, might not want to lean into that and might instead just want to just knock everything down. And just a point here to say, uh, if the relationship that uh, you're in, dear listener, if any of you are in um, very difficult, possibly abusive dynamics with someone, uh, then uh, and you feel like you can uh, do this uh, and you feel like you have to be safe away from that relationship, Please feel free to destroy it. You know, I'm not saying destroying relationships and having big, dramatic, I don't want to see you anymore, we're done uh, endings. I'm not suggesting that they are always bad. I think just for my advice here for this listener, I think it's clear that what's going on um, is that you are trying to do some disassembling. But I think it's just important to realise that that disassembling work is really hard uh, because it took a lot of years to assemble and it wasn't even clear that you were assembling it. So what are the processes that you have for this disassembling? Okay, what is it that you have to do? What, what literal work do you have to do? What is the care that is involved in doing this? So obviously a lot of this depends on whether you're living together, uh, have dependence or caring responsibilities, but also how much you shared and how much now you are unsharing. Okay, and of course that can be really, really tricky. A lot of people in romantic relationships want to... Um, want to have many of the benefits that being in a couple has, particularly if you live in, for example, in a major city in the UK, there are expensive places to live. And so couples often get into uh, flat shares with each other, one bedroom flats or studio flats or just small flats, which makes, so that and that, that element of their relationship gets like assembled very quickly. And it's very exciting that all, you know, buying cutlery together and putting your posters up and, uh, planning a quiet night's in and you know all that stuff um, but disassembling that can be really painful as well as this process of trying to find a place of safety for you both individually too right trying to find new places for you to go I don't know whether this is going on for you or not but also you obviously have to if you have dependents like uh, uh, kids uh, or cats or dogs or any other 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 pets are available, other dependents are available, but also whether you have any caring responsibilities either for each other or for other people in your assemblage, how are you going to how are you going to do that? So I think one of the things that I would encourage you to do and encourage everyone to do is to think about this much more intentionally, to think about this process of disassembly. You know, it, it you, that um to think of it as a kind of like a you're disassembling something because you want to save all of the bricks, right? Uh, you're wanting to save all the mortar and you're wanting to rebuild rebuild on top of something else. 
actually thinking about uh, this is how medieval folks thought about building things. Um, I've learned this from the you know the prominent medieval historian who often comes on the show. She is going to come on the show again soon, Dr. Elena Yanniker. But you know, medieval folk didn't knock down Roman buildings; they built on top of them. There was a careful kind of like, well, we're going to reassemble this and use some of the materials here because materials are expensive and valuable. How do we rebuild something? And so, I think that requires so much care and so much time, and um, as well as these difficult feelings that potentially you might have. I think it's worth using um, a resource like the uh, Make Your Own Relationship User Guide zine. So this is a zine that Meg John and I created some years ago now, and it's a zine to help you to figure out how you want to do your relationships and how you want to, um, what relationships mean to you, where they fit, uh, how it is, um, how your relationships fit with other people. And I think it's just as important to think about, okay, well, how, how do we disassemble our relationships and how and to and to think about how we might do that and to use the zine to help you do that okay so which bits are you agreeing not to share anymore rather than the bits that you used to agree to share has the pattern changed about your relationship which um how much will you see each other like are you going to go from like everyday contact to something more like you know weekly or are you going to have instead of seeing each other for the kinds of um for the kind of the everyday uh the the day-to-dayness of relationships instead are you going to kind of make dates to see each other if so what are those dates going to look like what are you going to do um think about what you want from this relationship ideally what might your relationship mantra be going forward for this relationship um, who else is going to be involved in this relationship? How are your friendships or other partners or family? How are they going to be involved? Are you still going to maintain relationships with them? How's that going to look? How are you going to manage that? Um, what are you going to say about the relationship? Um, I think also just to think about the volume settings, like which things are going to be turned down or which things are going to be turned up or which things are going to be turned off. So for example, things like sex, emotional closeness, everyday contact, shared projects, romantic feelings. But also, like, what are your love languages going to change? So in the way that you talk to each other, in the way that you communicate your love for each other, in the way that you do caring, loving things for each other, how is that going to change? If, that is, if that's going to remain the same, is that going to... Maybe that might take you back to a place where you both still are, where you are both not on the same page about where that relationship is. Is that going to make the sand become rock <laughs> again, rather than allowing the sand to form something else like a very sturdy sandcastle? I don't really, I don't know why I use rock as a analogy. I don't really understand how rock and sand and things like that work. <laughs> um, but you know, if you're going to use the same love language, for example, if you're going to send each other gifts or uh, use words or do acts of service, you know that. The, uh, the idea of love languages that we have in the zine that came from uh, someone else's work. Uh, you'll, uh, I'll, it's in the zine. Um, you know, is that just going to put you back in the place of where the relationship was rather than allowing the relationship to become? So I think that to kind of, to really to circle back is that it's really important to think about the processes that might be at play and what a break might do to help you to facilitate those processes, right? Because if in your head you're still in the same place where you were before you broke up, then that's not going to allow you to get into a process of allowing us to become something else, right? And, you know, the classic thing of 
which is often said at the end of relationships by people is that, you know, can we just be friends? You know, and that is super problematic, as me and Meg John talks about on past shows too, uh, is that the the way that we view uh, friendships as being um, lesser than romantic relationships or less important, less loving, less valuable is super problematic. But I think it's, but it, we can't step outside culture. Culture tells us this all the time, that the thing to be in is the romantic relationship. But that really shuts down so many things. And also, it's really offensive to those of us who really value being friends with other people. You know, why are friends as being seen as lesser? Why can't friends be more important than romantic relationships? Why do we allow people to be... Why do we allow our relationships to... Um, well, after six weeks, do we allow someone into our lives and uh, in the most intimate of ways and tell them everything about us that someone else might have taken two or three years uh, to, to develop and build that level of trust and intimacy with? I know this didn't happen with you because you were already friends before and now you are trying to get back to a kind of feeling of friendship. But I think it's just another thing to bear in mind is that, um, that friends aren't a training ground for being in a romantic relationship, okay? And it might be that going to a place of friendship is actually way better, and it might just suit you way better. And maybe we, maybe you might want to get to a place where friendships are your thing and romantic relationships just aren't your thing, which many, many people do. And uh, it's just not something that we talk about enough. But, you know, it's uh, completely possible and absolutely necessary for many people to only have... Uh, strong intimate bonds that are not romantic uh, or or sexual in some way um, and the other thing to say there as well is that friends break up too like there is this kind of idea that if you kind of um, default to friends as like a lesser version of romantic relationships but friends can break up too and it's also just offensive for for the idea of friendships that we say well this is the thing that we just default to and we never have any asks or needs or boundaries or wants and people can never upset us or it's not possible for people to treat us badly in friendships they would just have to kind of take what we're given no like friendships should be just as intentional just as consensual just as much of a process of becoming as romantic relationships so I've really not answered your question there. I do think that there are benefits to having uh, to having times where you have a period of no contact. I think I've kind of explained why that might be beneficial. But also, it might be that you can't have that period of no contact for lots of different reasons. But lean into yourself. Like, really try to, to listen to what your body's telling you about this. If... There are no. If the only reason that you are resisting not having contact is that you don't want to feel sad, I'm suggesting that might not be a good reason to have no to not have no contact. Okay, there might be other genuinely good reasons for why it's very difficult to, for you to have no contact. But maybe what you need to do is to change how the contact is. It might just be less contact, different kind of contact. Um, and to be intentional about that and to notice it and to and almost to say it out loud, to say to make the implicit explicit, to say, right, we are changing the kind of contact that we're having in order that we can begin the processes of disassembly to help us to reassemble something that we spent years assembling. Does that make sense? 
I hope that was useful. I hope you found that uh, useful, dear gentle listener. If you have any questions that you would like me to give this kind of attention to, and this kind of a care to, then please do email them to me. Uh, you can so this was emailed via the Meg, John, and Justin website, but they come to me now at Culture Sex Relationships. So if you want to use a contact page, you can just contact use the contact page at megjohnandjustin.com. Uh, there is the Ask Us a Question page there, I think, on the homepage. You can also send them directly to me at culturesexrelationships at gmail.com. Or if you're a patron, you can send your questions uh, via the Patreon message uh, system. Uh, that's at patreon.com forward slash culturesexrelationships, where you can also sign up to support the show. Uh, this show I make... Uh, I don't get any funding for apart from from the Patreon. So every patron from at least from just one pounds a month uh, actually just pays me to make this show. I don't do other work in order to to do this work. So and I prioritise the this podcast above the other work that I have to do. I'm entirely freelance, uh, and also your contributions help me to pay other freelance guests too because I think that any freelancers coming on the show should also be paid for their appearances, uh, which is not very common, apparently, in podcasts, but I do it, because I think it's important. Anyway, so if you do already support the show, thank you so, so much. Uh, uh, And if you don't already support the show, thank you so much for listening. I value you a great deal, too. I'm trying not to create hierarchies, but if you can... Uh, you feel like you can support the show, please head over to the Patreon, patreon.com forward slash culture sex relationships. All right, I'm going to stop waffling and I'm going to go. Ciao. Bye.